0: So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for just the opportunity for us to just to get together and um, just interact in your word and just stir up the things that are the revelations of heaven, Lord, how you've ordered heaven to function and God, how you function. Lord, i just am reminded about Moses, Lord, when he said, Lord, may I know your ways. And Lord, in order that I may know you. And Lord, we just want to know your ways. We want to know how you function, how you do what you do, Lord, so that we can uh, just, our hearts and our minds and our actions may all come in line with your ways. So that in all our ways are headed toward knowing you. And so, Lord, we thank you so much, and I pray, Lord, that the the things that we speak tonight, Lord, generate faith and a confidence, Lord, in who you are, but Lord, how uh, the knowing that you're a good God, and Lord, but this world is kind of crazy, and Lord, how sometimes that the things that are occurring in this world are just in total conflict in relationship to who you are. So God, we just want to understand, Lord, how you how you function. So Lord, I ask for the wisdom of heaven. You promise us that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously. And so Lord, we ask in faith. Also, I ask for the revelations of heaven, Lord, uh, that we be filled with the Lord. Uh, we grant a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of you, having the eyes of our heart enlightened. So God, we just call out for that. Revelation, revelation, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, cool, it's so cool to get to hang out with y'all. Uh, real quick, I just want to review last week uh, the whole deal with the title of this is Our Sovereign God, and then, but I started off just discrediting even the title of what I was saying, that how really sovereignty of God or even sovereign of God is not mentioned in the Bible in relationship to King James or New King James. Uh, It's mentioned only a couple of times. That term, English term, is only mentioned a couple of times, uh, twice in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament. But literally, it doesn't have this meaning of overarching where God is controlling everything, where the term sovereignty of God has a tendency many times to do that. Um, I talked about how God is in control. That statement is never mentioned in Scripture in any version, Uh, but yet that's a staple statement that when we don't know what's going on in the world, we'll throw that, that that, that phrase out. My conviction is... That when we use that phrase inappropriately, we can cause problems uh, in people's lives, in people's hearts. Um, and so so I, it, that's one of the purposes this whole week I mean this whole this whole class, this whole thing, whatever whatever you call this thing we're doing um, is to really just give revelation of how. How how that our words and how the things in our heart can be in line with truth and that we not get caught up with just saying catchphrases or or believing things just because that's what we heard. I really want to ask y'all to challenge me, as also I will challenge you, that if you're gonna say something, you say thus speak thus saith the Lord. Or like y'all, I think I shared with y'all before, that prophet that time, that guy who was a crazy prophet dude when I was 22 years old, I was hanging out with him and a bunch of other people in a room, and and they were all talking about the book of Revelations, and I'm hearing people talking, and I'm just back there in the back, and I'm going, I want to say something, you know, I want to say something, you know, I'm saying that to myself, you know. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, there was something that I could say, and I said, my opinion about this passage of scripture is this, this, and this, and everything got quiet in the room and it stopped and he looked at me and he says what'd you say and i said well my opinion about this past scripture is that da and uh, and he says you have no right to speak your opinion to me when you speak you speak thus saith the lord or keep your mouth shut and ever since that time i'll be honest with you there's been a thing in me that if i'm going to speak that i speak thus saith the lord and uh Keep your mouth shut. And George asked a question last week that I, I want to revisit here in a few minutes. That uh, I needed to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> because, because I didn't exactly speak the right passage of scripture that I want to speak. And I will answer that in a few minutes. But sovereignty of God, what does it mean? If you notice on that page, page two, um, that it, the sovereignty of God is really three things that God is the absolute Lord and King and ruler over everything, and everything He does is righteous and truth. Second thing is, is that He's the owner of heaven and earth. We established last week how that He had given power of attorney over to man, like in Psalm 115, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth He has given to the sons of men. And so when... God created the earth. He gave man and woman authority over the earth. And man forfeited, uh, mortgaged the earth and creation and literally put us and under under the earth and the world under the authority of Satan. And so here the kinsman redeemer comes back and is redeeming everything back. And he, like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he must rule until he puts all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be put under his feet is death. Now let me put a little commercial in here, because the misconception is that people go, well, Jesus has the death of Keith, the, the keys of death in Hades. Well, yeah, all He has done is rendered death powerless. He has the keys. There's a season and time soon that there will be no more need for keys because the prison will be, I mean, destroyed. And that is when he throws death and Hades when in the, what? Lake of fire. That is when death and Hades will be no more. Like I shared with y'all last week, God being a God of justice and righteousness, God cannot just randomly wipe out death's effect on the world If he did, he would have to kill us. Being a God of justice, you cannot pick and choose where you exercise justice and righteousness. And so, because the wages of sin is what? Death. So if he abolished death, he would have to abolish us. And that's where you see this in the the picture in, in Matthew 13 with the parable that Jesus spoke of the tares that how, you know, that how he, he, you know, the parable was, goes, is that, I'm going to paraphrase it real quick, that how in the night someone, he goes and plants the wheat, but the enemy comes and and sows tares in among the wheat. Okay, they come up, the, the tares start coming up, and the wheat start coming up, and the people recognize that there has, there's something wrong, and they ask him, do you want to to, ta- to, to pull up the tares and he says no lest you destroy the wheat and that's the thing is if God executed total justice on evil in this world he would have to pull us up with it also and so that's how this gets really kind of complicated not complicated but rather interesting the gospel is simple but sin is complex and Satan wants it that way and that's how he wants it because it'd be an entangling. And so so anyway sorry about that but so God is the absolute ruler over everything. He's the owner of heaven and earth and he's creator of everything. And, and remember last week I was talking about he's the creator of everything. He created everything good and perfect and God is light. He create everything he creates is good. But then we deal with evil. How did evil get here? And I talked about how literally God created everything Um, good, but then what happened is, is things started, I mean, he, well, I want to say this without getting ahead of where we're going. I just get where we're going. He gave, created everything with the freedom, the authority to choose both angelic beings and human beings and what happens is everything's created to only function out of intensity of relationship with him in fact the other thing is very very important we talked about last week that when god created everything he created it everything to function under the principle of law now you remember law established last week and when i teach on the law spirit of life in christ jesus law does not mean do's and don'ts law literally means order that which is assigned, how everything was created to function. He created law in the physical realm, and just like laws in the physical realm are crucial for us to understand so that we can live and not die in the physical realm, and also we can know how to function, like fly a plane, have electricity, have water. All of that is dictated by the principle of law. Now, remember, not do's and don'ts, but how God ordered everything to function. Same thing in the spiritual realm. And in the spiritual realm, there are three major laws. That's it. The law of relationships, the law of Moses, and the law of spiritual life in Christ Jesus. Foundational law in all creation is the law of relationships. If anything starts to function outside that law of relationships, experience death that's what God told Adam and Eve in the day you eat of the tree you shall surely what die why it's just like saying if you jump off this building you will die not maybe maybe off a hundred story building you will die because it's just I mean somebody's not gonna be surprised like oh if you jump off you'll die no like they won't go oh no No, I mean, don't jump off the building. There's a law there. Because what God's saying is, if you tried to live without intensity of relationship, which that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the form of God without relationship with God. And that is all the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. How many times you've been in church services when all the church service is about is having a knowledge of good and evil. What to do and not to do. That tells you, When every time you're hearing that kind of sermon, out of my own mouth or anybody's mouth, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, so anyway, but, but the crucial thing is to understand this, that God created everything, but he created everything good, but he created it, in ways, it is to function. How, how How is to order? You violate how God ordered things to function, you're going to have problems. And we know that in the physical realm, but it's also true in the spiritual realm. So God is the creator of everything. He is the, he is the beginner and the creator of everything. And so, and then where we want to go is on the top of page three. I'm sorry that we're reviewing so much. But God created everything with five, well created everything, created every human being and everything, created every human beings with five very important principles and every being with four principles. When I say like spiritual, spiritual beings and literally there's five statements that we're going to spend dealing with that integrate these five principles that God's granted to us and the first principle is the sovereign God created thing created and established every being with purpose time boundaries and authority and human beings faith he God sovereign God allows everyone the freedom to receive and fulfill or reject and violate purpose time boundaries authority or faith this or not or next, the sovereign God judges and will judge how every being fulfills or violates purpose, time, boundaries, authority. Or, in the sovereign God seeks to redeem and restore in this age and the misuse, in this age, the misuse of purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. So, that's where we're going to start. We're going to start on the first principle is, and you'll notice on your, in your notes, on page 3, how the sovereign God has created everything with purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. Now, let me put a commercial in here and stop. George asked a question last week. Do you remember the question you asked? Can you ask it again? Exactly. (laughs) No, I'm just giving you a hard time. Well I just was thinking if like the idea of god of justice like if um, when I think about Isis is justice of god means like they need to be killed the same way they've been killing people and if I'm asking for god will will I be praying god like let them die which it's is like my first question like where is the justice will take place in there and the other one was the um the labor who the variable of flavors who, like people who came late and they all got paid the same. I want to focus on the first one because uh, I really, last week when I answered that, I'm going, when I, you know, as I was driving home that night, I'm going, last week I'm going, oh, Brick, that was so lame what you said. And it's the, the deal about ISIS. And you see, it seems like for, for uh, your name is George, yeah. For George, that's a very real thing for him, because we're dealing with the the reality of affecting his family and many of his loved ones. And so you see, really, I mean, when you're dealing with ISIS, you're dealing with something that's really the absolutes of Islam, and you're seeing it totally uncontrolled. And so many times we're seeing these kind of things happening in the world, and you're going, God, where is your justice? Because one of the things we spoke last week is that God is a God of justice and righteousness, and He cannot vary in anything like that. And one of the things I was saying, how is that events transpire in the world that you will, that these things, justice and righteousness, are behind the scenes in these things. But if we're not careful, we will look at these things and we will make judgments and go, on, there's, You know, God, how can you allow this to occur? And I mentioned last week, I mentioned what had occurred to Israel. And Israel was asking the same thing. Because what had happened was, is that Israel, I said Israel, Judah and Israel was asking the same question. Remember Israel, the nation of Israel got divided into the 12 tribes, got divided off into two tribes, which is Judah. Ten Tribes, which was called Israel. Northern Kingdom was Israel. Southern Kingdom was Judah. The Northern Kingdom was was taken into captivity by the Syrians around 72 B.C. And about 586 um, B.C., the Southern Kingdom, Judah, was finally taken off into captivity by the Babylonians, who the Babylonians had taken over the Assyrians. Well, so you look at that, Israel's going, God, we're your people. How could you allow injustice to occur to us? So if you would look to Pastor Scripture with me, Isaiah 47, and then look at it with me in, okay, um, 2 Kings, I think it's 2 Kings 23. Let me, let me find it. Yeah. 2 Kings 23. The last king uh, ruled for Judah. Um, Judah was the, really the part of the of the kingdom was really the most godly. Um, you had in the north part you had people like Ahab and uh who was not a cool dude. And uh but you're going to see something here. How could God allow the Babylonians to come and do what He did? They did to the to um, to Israel, God's chosen people. And look at this. In, in uh, I'm going to start it in chapter 23 of Second Kings, verse 23. It says, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, Passover observed the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the spiritist, and the teraphim and the idols and the abominations were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem that he might confirm the words of the Lord, such and such, such, which is a really cool thing there too. 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did anyone like him arise after him. Okay, so I mean, here you get such a godly king. Man, it seems like, man, things would be being blessed of Israel. Listen to the next verse. However, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger burned against Judah because all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. The Lord said, I will remove Judah from my sight, and as I have removed Israel, I will cast, cast off Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen, and the temple which I said, my name shall be there. Now, I don't know if you know what Manasseh did, but Manasseh adopted the practice of, the, of, of worshiping idols of the Amorites and the Malachites and all the Ites. And like I said last week, the main pattern of worship of those deities was child sacrifice and human sacrifice. And remember we talked about last week the power of the shedding of blood. And so even though you have a godly king, what happens is, and this is why I wrote a book on strongholds, is because you can have people doing good things, and good things just do not erase strongholds. That's how powerful a stronghold is. Stronghold blocks you off from God's presence, provisions, or truth. And so here we see the shedding of innocent blood that occurred in Manasseh before Josiah comes king, and the good things that Josiah does cannot just alleviate the shedding of innocent blood. So you have this blood debt on the land. So Israel, God being a God of justice, where Satan is accusing Israel before God day and night, and so Israel is then, justice has been released into Israel. And I will say this to you, and we don't have time to go into this details, so don't, please don't ask me about this. But the main way that God executes justice is that He turns us over to our own devices. Psalms 81:10 says, "I would that my people listen to my voice, but because they do not, I have turned them over to their own devices." So Israel sowed this into their lives, and uh, or you see the same principle in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. where God's saying, have you not done this to yourself? You know, by forsaking the Lord of glory. And he goes on to say, says your own iniquities will chastise you. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, the wages of sin is death. And when you look where that verse is written in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that is written in a chapter that's written to believers. So what happens is, is that when there's, you're looking, especially in the nations where Israel entered into sin, such drastic sin. And so, God, being a God of justice, you know, has to execute justice and turn Israel to their own devices, to the sins they planted. And so, go to Psalm 40, I mean, Jeremiah, I mean, Isaiah 47, and you see this on the other side. and where God is executing justice on Babylon. Listen to this. Verse 1, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit in the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. That's a term for the Babylonians. For you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Take the millstone and grind the wheel. Remove your veil. Strip off the skirt. Uncover the leg. Cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered, your shame will be exposed. I will take vengeance and I will not spare a man. Our Redeemer, the Lord of, of hosts, is his name, Holy One of Israel. Sit silently, go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you will be no more be called the Queen of Kingdoms. I was angry with my people, I profaned my heritage. How is he angry? This is in relationship to Josiah and Manasseh for the shedding of innocent blood. So guess what he does? He says, I gave them over into your hands. So this is what Israel sowed. And so they were delivered over into the hand of the Babylonians. But watch this. He says, I gave them over into your hand You did not show mercy on them, on on the aged. You made your yoke very heavy, yet you said, I shall be a queen forever, and such and such, such and such. In other words, he's executing justice on the Babylonians because when he turned around and he's handing, delivering Israel over into the Babylonians, they didn't show mercy on them. And so guess what? They They get jacked. And so you're seeing this continue. And so here's the crazy thing. was you see something like ISIS going on, you got to ask the question, what kind of sins and injustice are occurring or have occurred in the region in the Middle East? I will say this, y'all, and this is a very, very controversial statement and call it a lie, let God be established. But one uh, time I, I was meeting with Joseph, uh, Joseph Joseph's last name, Zorab, Joseph Zorb. pastor in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, and he looked at me and he said, Rick, you American evangelical Christians, you make it very difficult for us Arab Christians in the Middle East because the way you treat and the way you, you lift up Israel according to the flesh and sort of put down, just by, by reason of the way you operate, the Arab people. You exalt this and this. And, and so, and as you go and hang out in the Middle East, and you look, take a look back, step back, and you look at how we respond and how we operate in the Middle East, correct me, George, if I'm wrong, but it's a lot of times in evangelical Christianity, how we respond and how we speak is really, it adds fuel to the fire in the Middle East. I'm going to be honest with you, one of the biggest questions I have wrestled with is 1948, when Israel became a nation. or when, when, And one of the issues that I dealt with is, firsthand, it was like one trip that I was there. And I'm not saying this is absolute, but one trip that I was there, Um, It seemed like, not every, but a good bit of the people that I ran into, all were people who lived in in Palestine, in Jerusalem area in 1948. And the majority of the people, all the people that I met during that time were all Christians. And they're there, and one of them talked about how she went to school one morning, and all of a sudden... When she came home, well, they got, she got yanked out of school. And, they, and uh, her family, like, had a business there in the in, um, in Israel area. And all of a sudden, they had to leave the country or else out of fear. And so they left Israel where they had been living. And their families had left, lived for decades and, and fled to, to Jordan and there they had to settle in Jordan. And you know what? The number one issue that you go and you talk, go into Jordan and talk to Palestinians, you know what the number one issue that they'll talk about is? 1948. The injustice. Let's just put it in perspective for you. Um, I own property in Giles County. So I come to, come to, I come to work one day in Christiansburg and church, and on my way back, I find out that a, a foreign country has ruled that the land that I sit on was once owned by the Indians. And because this land was owned by the Indians, I no longer have a right to be there, so I've got to be shipped off to Mexico. That's exactly what happened. How would I respond? And not only the Christians who know the power of the cross and, un- and forgiveness are the ones who live in freedom and God blesses. But the, the Palestinians who are Muslims who have no process how to process unforgiveness, I mean, you know, an injustice or whatever, whatever you call it or what, are the ones who sit in for. Since 1948, they sit and, and simmer, how would you say that? Stew, you see, on that event. And, I, and so you wonder, what's the fuel for Islam in the Middle East, for ISIS, and some of the things is, is, is that is the root issue. So I'm not saying one way or the other, but I'm telling you this. It made me ask some really hard questions when I was over there. You know, you go to Damascus, you go to Damascus, Syria, and in the major part of the downtown Damascus, correct me, George, if I say something wrong here, but you have a whole big Jewish section that used to be there, synagogue and everything, and Muslims and the Jews used to, intensely live in relationship together but then all of a sudden a few events occur to create a (laughs) dividing wall and fuel for massive division and so so uh you know anyway that's a whole other subject at another time and so when we start looking at world events and also events that may be more local or even more in our lives y'all sometimes things are not as they seem and that's why you want to go, God, give me wisdom. Yeah, so you want to back off and see things from heaven and see how, how things transpired. So please don't hear me as saying made, any confu- uh, conclusions. All I am, in certain ways, is an American who realized that, as Emengo Montoya said, I do not think that means what you think it means. Okay. And, uh, and so, but anyway, sorry about that rabbit. But George's question was very complex, and I did not do a good job. I may have caused more confusion than I did right now in saying this, but so anyway. So anyway, tonight, let's go on and talk about the sovereign God created every being with purpose, time, boundaries, and authority. Uh, Proverbs 16, 4 says that God has created everything for its own purpose. Everything. If you can see it, it has purpose. You have purpose. I, it was interesting the other day. And, and if you don't understand the purpose, or it no, you think that something no longer has a purpose, what do you do with it? You throw it away. I don't forget, the other day, I was, and this guy just showed me, you know, just reminded me of this. Well, you know, I was sitting there drinking a bottle, uh, drinking some Gatorade. And I drank the bottle of Gatorade. And all of a sudden, I looked at the bottle. And what do you think I can do with the bottle? Throw it away. Because what? My conclusion is, well, it fulfilled its purpose now. Throw it away. If you don't know your purpose, you know what you sow into yourself? The spirit of, of rejection. Because if some don't have purpose, the tendency is to throw it away. It'll, it'll be put aside. You know, I loved used to, back, back in the day, go to uh, Cracker Barrel with my dad. You know, back in the early days when Cracker Barrel, because you know, on, on the walls of the Cracker Barrel in the early days, they used to have a lot of tools. A lot of old, old tools, old-fashioned tools that I may have found in my grandfather's tool workshed. And a lot of crazy looking things. And I could ask them, what was that for? What was that for? What was that for? You know, because I knew that if all of a sudden I had my grandfather's tools, which had a lot of those same tools, I remember seeing them, and I didn't know what they were for, what would I have a tendency to do with that? Throw it away or put it aside? You have a purpose. And it's important for you to understand how to function in your purpose. The other thing that's very, very important for you to gather when we talk about God has created everything for its own, with its own purpose, for its own purpose, is that you have two purposes in your existence. In eternity, there are two major purposes in you. And each purpose has a distinct purpose. <laughs> if I don't want to say it. And if you'll notice with me, uh, go with me to Acts chapter 13, verse 36. I do not know how far we will get tonight. It's Mitch's fault. <laughs> He's in the back. He's not doing anything, so I need to blame somebody, right? <laughs> this passage of Scripture, so real quick, talking about purpose in this age, and let me just want to say is you, you have a purpose in this age, and you have a purpose in the age to come. And it's very important to understand the differences between these purposes. In fact, I want to say this. The purpose that you and I have in this age is not our purpose. Our purpose, true purpose, is in the age to come. You know, you could, I could look, my brother died at age 56. And you could go, oh man, he got taken early and didn't get to try and fulfill purpose he didn't get to know his grandkids or we could talk about brandon for us brandon brinkley who died at 29 was it 29 or 30? he was 29 wasn't he he died he was 29 wasn't he brandon was 29 when he died huh uh yeah i have a hard time knowing how old i am i have to start i got born in 1956 and go from there and start adding and subtracting but uh but I think he was 29, and you go, oh, man, you know, how sad. Or I was talking with somebody the other night who, who was ministering to someone who had a, you know, had a, who had a, a baby that, that a, a loved one had, family had a baby that had died at 18 months. Or the miscarriages we deal with, you know, and you go, man, um, man, They, you know, they got their life got snuffed out. Well, here's a question the reality is, did they fulfill purpose? Because if this is not their real purpose of existence, this is their real purpose of existence, this is not suffering loss, because the very reality is they may have experienced fullness of gain. So, you know, so how we look at this is very, very important. And notice this passage in, in Acts thirteen thirty six. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. David served the purpose of God in his generation. See, it wasn't David's purpose. It was God's purpose for David's life in this age. Um... And um, look, go with me real quick to John chapter. Whoops, Luke chapter sixteen. Sorry. Luke chapter sixteen. And I'm going slow on this. I could just quote these, but I just really want us to see these things. They're so critical. In in, in Luke chapter sixteen. Verse 10 through 12. He was faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. He was unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteousness in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust true riches to you? Okay? If you haven't been faithful in, in unrighteous mammon, how will you receive true riches? And then he goes on and says something that takes it to another level. If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, how you receive that which is your own. If you have not been faithful in the use of another's, how you receive that which is your own. Y'all, the reality is this purpose in our age, in our existence here is not ours. It's God's. It's not our purpose here. David served the purpose of God and his generation fell asleep because the reality is this to be faithful here so that we receive this purpose here. Let me give you an example. What is Jesus Christ's ultimate purpose? The Word. Okay? It's interesting, all of y'all's answers are right, but you know, everything that y'all spoke was in relationship to this age. What was, notice how I said it. What is Jesus's ultimate purpose? Pardon me? Fulfill his father's purposes. Fulfill his father's purposes. That's in this age. What is Jesus's ultimate purpose? Fellowship with, God. Fellowship with, Godhead. Fellowship with Godhead, yeah. The, the, what... I see in Scripture that Jesus' ultimate purpose is to receive a name which is above every other name. King of kings and Lord of lords. Philippians chapter 3, Revelations chapter 4 and 5. Worthy is the Lamb to receive glory and honor where all of heaven is literally bowed down to Him. I mean, just look at all the things that happen to Jesus here, all of this and one Philippians. You got a question? Doesn't God give him the name above every name? But doesn't He give it back at the culmination of the age? Where's that? Where's where that? I've never seen that. No, you're talking about the kingdom in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Delivers back over to him. All things have been subjected to him, and then he delivers it back over to him. But the, the crazy reality is everything that Jesus did here, I love this Philippians passage where it talks about Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, where he became obedient to the death, even death, what? On the cross, and there he fixed, very next phrase. But God, Highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every knee would what? Bow, and every tongue to confess. See what happened is every Jesus' total life here was a seed for this. For us to understand this is our purpose. Now we could spend a whole lot more time in this. But for us to understand everything in this existence here is to sow, is to sow here so that we reap here. Because this is your purpose. This is, say, 80 years. Dad died to live. Dad lived in 92. Take 90 and put it over eternity. And what percentage is that? <laughs> and so the question is, how do I want to invest? And that's where you start looking at the parable of talent, the parable of pound, you know, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and not corrupt. Because the reality is that is, this is our purpose. And, uh, and you can see... In your notes, uh, we're not going to go into details of it, on page 5 where some of the characteristics, uh, where it's right in the middle of the page, for purpose in the age to come. Um, Some of the really crazy things that are really involved in our purpose in the age to come. Purpose of eternal life, both quality and quantity of life. Treasures, rewards, inherit the world. Rule and judge the world, nations, angels. And live an unveiled life in the presence of God. And uh, I'm sure there's some more things that are in that that I don't, haven't seen yet. But all I do know, I do know this, uh, it's good. (laughs) You know, (laughs) what is there, you know, is good. I know the Holy Spirit is really good. But he is just a down payment. A future inheritance, you know, it's a pledge of our inheritance, you know. So, so literally in this purpose, and so the question I want to ask you, just sort of, without laboring this much more, is that uh, how are you gonna live your life? How you gonna, are you gonna to live to be to try to get comfortable into this world? Now, let me put this little commercial in there, y'all got to realize this that Jesus did not come to get us comfortable in this world. Galatians chapter 1 verse 5 says that he came to deliver us out of this present evil age. Let's think about that. He came to deliver us out of this present evil age. My brother dies at age 56. My conviction is that bud Fulfilled life. Yeah, we say, well, you know, you could live longer. Well, some of us fulfill the mission a whole lot quicker than other people. And, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, when we start talking about death and time and stuff like that, that's a whole other issue. But what I'm just trying to say is, y'all, sometimes we misjudge stuff. And, um if there's anybody to me that would live a life that would fulfill purpose uh, my brother would be one of those people um i shared that with y'all last maybe it was sunday i guess or someplace i preached um i remember when i was dealing with bud's death and i may have already shared this last week so forgive me if i do uh but I was, it's one of those times i was just thinking about praying about it and it just so happened bud died in 2001 in february 2001 and you know and, and uh you know september 11th occurred and then u.s is in war and so it was about a year after bud died i was just kind of pondering about bud dying quote young and all of a sudden it was just one of those times i was just walking through the house and for some crazy reason i was just thinking about bud having died young and the tv was on and uh And all of a sudden, I heard the announcer say, uh, such and such division, you know, uh, 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 something in the U.S. Army, I can't remember, whatever they call it, battalion or whatever, gets to come early from the conflict in Iraq. And I go, oh, wow. They get to come early. Then all of a sudden, it, it crossed my mind, what would be the soldiers' reactions back in Iraq when they found out that their buddies get to go home early from the war? Would they be sad? Oh, I'm sorry, you have to go home early from the war. No. They would be saying, oh, praise God, you get to go home. And, and so Bud died at 56. I was not cool in any way, shape, or form. But God being the God who causes all things to work out for good. Guess what? Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, graves, Where are your victory? No more. Fulfillment of purpose. You know? When Mom died at 52, uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, came out of the hospital room, you know, when she died, and out in the, out in front of the hospital, and we're hugging, Bud and Dad and I were hugging each other, and, all of a sudden, I heard the Lord speak to me very loud. The 1st the, the, the Timothy passage. I have run the race. I have finished my course. I receive a crown. Of, you know, can read the rest of the verse. And I'm going, I'm going, she finished. She finished. Dude. So, anyway, sorry that I'm preaching. I'm sorry, I'm not teaching, I'm preaching. Yeah, Ron. Um, just thought of these two words in relation to purpose, and just what you, you think about this, like predestination and destiny. Predestination and destiny. That's a really well, destiny is uh, uh, would be a word that gets interwoven in like, what's God's will? Uh, or god 's purpose, um, um, there is predestination, but it 's interwoven with freedom to choose and we 'll look at that next week, where we 'll talk about the sovereign God allows the freedom for us to re- receive and fulfill or violate I mean uh, reject and violate purpose time boundaries and authority. So Ron, if it's you grant me the opportunity. Get into that next week, okay? Is that okay? When we start talking about predestination. Here's a question for you. Can you violate your purpose? Can something be predestined for something and not be there? End up there? So those are things we'll talk about next week. So, so anyway. So anyway, back into purpose. Um, and obviously, y'all, we cannot get into all of this. But I do want you to know there's three major facets to your purpose in this age. One is that it would yield, or your, your total purpose is, one is that you and I be conformed to the image of Jesus. The second thing is, is that we would experience a reality of salvation. If you see the verses in 1 Timothy 2, 4 where it said it is God's will, literally in the Greek is it is God's will for all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10 says that it is God's, God does not purpose or plan any man to perish, but all to come unto repentance. And so, uh, so the reality is that, y'all, God does not predestine people to hell. And we could chase that rabbit. We will talk about it more next week. But that is a, that is a hard issue, uh, but it is not an uh, issue. The second thing is very very important for us to understand are your works. You know, and Jesus said in John 17 verse 3 says, "Father, I have finished the works which you have given me." You Ephesians 2:10 says, "For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which he previously literally in the Greek it says this, previously prepared that we should walk in them. It does not say you will walk in them. It uses a, a Greek uh, mode called subjunctive. It means potential. It does not mean you will automatically do it. It means there's the potential for you to fulfill them or not fulfill them. You see in Revelation chapter 3, where it says Jesus is speaking to the church, to the leader, the angel, the messenger to the church. And there he says, Wake up, strengthen the things that remain for I ha-